I left the house one morning this week and I got one mile down the road, exactly one mile. And I remembered I had left something sitting out on the counter which should have returned to the refrigerator. <laughs> my, my poor brain realized it. I'm a mile up the road. And since I was that close to the house, I turned around and I drove back and I took care of business and then I went about my way. I had to, I had to turn around. I had to change direction. And whether it be a, a, a course correction while traveling, or perhaps a course correction on the road of life, to change direction is significant because it means a change in the destination. I want to say that again. To change direction is significant because it ultimately means a change in the destination. And one of the most powerful examples in Scripture of changing direction is the man called Saul, a man we will come to know as the Apostle Paul. So what does that mean and why does that matter to the church today? Well, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to, to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, we've been in the book of Acts for for a few months now, and here we are today in Acts 9, where we will catch up with Saul, and this is following his part, his being an accessory to the mob murder of the man who was the first deacon of the church, Stephen. Acts 9 opens with Saul, and he's still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And, and Saul goes to the high priest, and, and Saul asks for letters from the priest to the synagogues in Damascus. Damascus is one of the oldest cities in the world. And Saul, with the intent of this letter, that if, Saul, if he finds any persons belonging to this new faith, this Christian faith called the way, belonging to the way, whether they're men or they're women, that Saul might bring them in shackles to Jerusalem. So, so this man Saul, we know that he was present at Stephen's death, and, and we know that he hates the church. So who, who is Saul? Well, Saul is a Roman citizen, but he's also Jewish. He's from Tarsus. And as well, he's a, he's a Pharisee. He's a religious zealot. He's actually in rabbinical training. And he wants to protect the oral traditions set forth by the religious leaders of, of that day. And if you remember when we were in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, we saw the Pharisees often. And, and the Pharisees... A lot of times they care more about their own teaching than what was actually found in Scripture. And we'll, we can get, we, that's another story. We'll, we'll come back to that at another time. But, but Saul is breathing murder. He's an angry man. Think of your worst enemy. 
Think of your own worst enemy. And then put Saul's face there. Saul hates the new church. And it's now open season on the church. And Saul is heading to Damascus and he wants open warrants for any transgressors. I'm, I'm envisioning Dog the Bounty Hunter. <laughs> and the synagogues in Damascus, they're going to rat out there any of the Jewish backsliders who've become a part of this new way. The followers of this man Jesus. And, and these synagogues are going to send Saul to go get these backsliders and he's going to haul them to Jerusalem in irons. And Saul was traveling, and he's about seven or eight days into his journey, he and his group. And it happens as he is approaching Damascus <laughs> that a light from heaven flashes around him. And he falls to the ground, and he hears a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul responds, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Can you imagine? <laughs> it's kind of like Peter and James and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. Do you remember when, when Jesus' heavenly form was revealed for, for just a moment on the mountain? In Matthew 17, we read that Jesus was transfigured. And his face shone like the sun, and his garments, they became as white as light. And Elijah and Moses appear, and they talk with Jesus. And the Lord speaks from heaven and says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. The disciples, they hear this. They, they fall face down to the ground. They're terrified. And in the same way, Saul hears Jesus. And he sees Jesus. And Jesus tells Saul, you are persecuting me. Get up and enter the city, and it will be told to you what you must do. And the men who are traveling with him, they, they're speechless. They hear the voice, but they don't see, they don't see anyone. They don't, they don't see anyone. And so, so what happens here? It's a change in direction. And, and this is a change in direction which changes the course of not only one man, but also the course of the history of the church. Without Saul's Damascus Road experience, there would be no missionary journey undertaken by Saul who would become known as Paul there would be no mention of this man in the book of Acts. And Paul, under the guidance and leadership and authority of the Holy Spirit, he penned some New Testament letters. We wouldn't have, with no Paul, we, would, we, would have, we wouldn't have the book of Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians the letter to the Colossian church, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, the two letters to Timothy, Titus. Who can forget the letter to Philemon? Mm. 
And this also changes the course of, of world history. And that's not an overstatement. Saul gets up from the ground. And though his eyes are open, he, he can't see anything. And so the men who are traveling with him, they, they lead him by the hand and they bring him into Damascus. And for three days, he is without sight, and he, he's, he doesn't eat, he doesn't drink. Three days. And, and for three days, Saul sits in a house in Damascus. And in three days, he's sitting here, he, he has nothing to eat, nothing to drink, and he's sitting in darkness. What do you think was on Saul's mind? Well, well, if it was me, I would reflect on not only what had happened on the Damascus Road, but all of the events which, which led up to that life-changing, direction-changing event. Jesus saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Jesus first brings a change in direction for Saul in a physical sense. Saul has stopped dead in his tracks. And now he's all alone in his mind. You know what it's like to be alone with your thoughts during the dead of night. Jesus, no doubt, then begins a change in direction for Saul's train of thought. His mind. Saul has to reconsider everything he's ever been or wanted to be in light of of this revelation of Jesus. You see, the gospel is a gospel of life transformation. There will be a turning point of some degree for everyone. There has to be. The gospel means change. And this change of direction for Saul, which began physically and then mentally at some level, will register emotionally. There will be a heart change toward the things of God and, and, and the people of God. Saul, no doubt, thought of all the Christ followers whom he had hauled off in irons. He probably thought about the stoning, the, the mob murder of Stephen. And we know in Acts, we read where Saul had watched it, and, and Saul had approved of it. Saul thinks of all he has persecuted. Saul thinks of all who followed, all of those who followed Christ, who were, who were in Christ and were a part of Christ, and, and Christ who was a part of them. And, and he thinks of the words of Jesus. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Saul, a party to murder and a hunter of the ones who are following in the way of Jesus, will now become the very thing he has been hunting. Saul's life, all he knew to be true, in his upbringing as a, as a Pharisee, uh, in all the rabbinical training, all of that is now in question. All of his contacts and his colleagues, his, his network, his reputation, 
his sphere of influence, it's over. It's over. Saul is still educated. He's still Jewish. He's still a Roman citizen. But Saul's life as he knew it is over. And now Saul waits for his next direction. Saul's life is just beginning. There's a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord says in a vision, Ananias. And Ananias replies, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord says, Get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he's praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Ananias answers, Lord, I have heard from many people about this man. Remember that. How much harm he did to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Ananias is a disciple there in Damascus. This is obviously a different Ananias than the one who dropped dead in Acts 5. The Lord gives this vision to Ananias. Get up and go to the street in Damascus called Straight. Inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul. Saul's praying. Saul has seen you in a vision. That you will come in and lay your hands on him and, and Ananias will lay his hands, and Saul will regain his sight. Well, Ananias, understandably, has some concerns. Lord, I have heard from many people about this man. How much harm he he did to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Ananias, he's got some legitimate reasons to... To give pause. But the Lord says, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer in behalf of my name. The Lord responds to Ananias' concerns. He he says three things about Saul. The Lord says, He is a chosen instrument of mine. He will bear my name. He will be a witness before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. That's the nation of Israel. The Lord will show Saul how much Saul will suffer on behalf of the name of Christ. Hmm. Saul is called. Saul is chosen. But that great question of the faith which every one of us have asked or at some point will ask Why does there have to be suffering? 
Saul will suffer. The called, the the chosen, can expect to suffer. Ananias departs and he enters the house and after laying his hands on Saul, it's all about the greeting. Brother Saul. Walking up to a murderer and saying, Brother. Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. The gospel can do that, you know. Had a conversation this week reminding someone that the gospel is about reconciliation. Period. God reconciling man back to him through Jesus. And how that should work its way down to how we get along as people. You may regain your sight and you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit and this is what happens. Immediately something like fish scales falls from the eyes of Saul. He regains his sight, he gets up, he's baptized. He takes food and he is strengthened. So what happens here? Well, there's a change in direction for Ananias. The Lord sends Ananias to to the street called Straight, finds the house of Judas, obviously a different Judas than the one who betrayed Jesus. Ananias inquires about the man named Saul. Ananias enters lays his hands on Saul, tells Saul why he is there. Immediately, something like fish scales fall from the eyes of Saul. Saul regains his sight. Saul gets up. Ananias baptizes Saul. You read this and you think, the conversation... The question Ananias might ask, this man that I baptized, I had no idea what he would go on to do. The idea of kingdom impact. Wow. Ananias baptizes Saul, and then Saul then has nourishment. Changes in direction. We've heard Jesus speak to Saul. We've heard Jesus speak to to Ananias. So what is Jesus saying to us? Well, for one thing, as we have been reminded, the called, the chosen, can expect to suffer. We shouldn't be surprised when disappointments in life occur when tragedies and heartaches and heartbreaks occur. How do we respond to what Jesus says to Saul? And and, as strange as this sounds, like, like Saul, do we ever persecute the church? Do we ever do that? Not not physically, but what about verbally? Do we 
Do we ever hurt our own? When we're going along with plan A and the Lord steps in and tells us to go with plan B, are we obedient? How do we respond to what Jesus says to Ananias? When the Lord gives us a direction and <laughs> he, gives us a, he tells us something and we may say, well, Lord, we hear you. We, we can confirm what you're saying and doing in your word, but like Ananias... We hear what many other people are saying. They're saying things contrary to your word. They may be doing things contrary to your word. But will we listen to those other voices? Or will we listen to the Lord through His word? Here's a big one. How do we respond to what Jesus says about how Ananias is to respond to Saul. How are we, as long-time believers, many of us, and churchgoers, supposed to respond to those new in the faith? Or maybe new in the faith to us? Or, or maybe they're not Christ followers yet. How are we to respond to new Christ followers who don't look like us? Or maybe they don't worship in, in the same fashion as we do. Well, we're, we're told in the Word how to discern right from wrong in the body of Christ. The Lord's Word has to be our guide. A change in direction is significant because it means a change in the destination. The Lord's Word has to be, has to be, has to be our guide. A change in direction for Saul. A change in direction for Ananias. A change in direction for us. That starts with acknowledging Jesus in the light of His revelation. When we hear Jesus, and we hear His Holy Spirit speak to our hearts regarding the presence of sin in our lives. When we hear of how Jesus has gone to the cross to pay the debt for those sins of ours, that, that debt we could never pay. When we hear of salvation and the forgiveness which He and He alone can offer, along with the hope and the promise of eternal life. Jesus, it is He who, who sets up a change of direction for you and for me.